The new problem for a lot of property management companies is how do we effectively process all these leads that are coming in so we're maximizing the value on a lot of them? You know, I talked to maybe, you know, thousands of property management companies by now, and a lot of them say that they have so many leads that are coming in that they don't know what to do with them. So they just remove marketing channels, right? But the goal here is to make sure that you're able to actually look at all those leads, process them and increase demand for your units so that you can increase prices, right? Not cut out the supply of leads. So that's what we're trying to do is making sure that whether you get 10 leads a day or a thousand leads a day, you're able to process them with the same level of efficiency that you were with your current team. This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. What's going on, everybody? This is episode 218 of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. And on today's show, we have my good friend, Shiv Getu. Shiv was a guest back on episode number 81, where we talked about creating an Airbnb rental arbitrage business. So if you're interested in Airbnb rental arbitrage, you should definitely scroll all the way back to listen to that episode. And since that time, his Airbnb business exploded and they were doing really, really well until COVID came and killed their momentum. And to save their business, they pivoted and changed their model from short-term rentals into long-term rentals. And by doing that, they realized that there is this huge problem with the way that landlords and property managers schedule showings and appointments for prospective tenants. So by taking matters into their own hands, they decided to create Resident Boost, an AI tool that helps large-scale property management companies handle the large number of leads that request showings for their vacant units. And in this episode, we're going to be going into creating an AI company in the middle of a pandemic and how to start your own prop tech company, as well as the challenges of going from a lead generation problem into a lead management problem. If you enjoy this podcast, do me a quick favor and leave a five-star rating on the show on the podcast app. Spotify, or wherever you listen to the show. It'll help me a lot, and it'll help others discover the show to learn more about real estate investing as well. And this real estate market is still incredibly hot. So if you're looking for a hard money loan for your fix and flip projects, or if you're looking for a 30-year fixed loan for your rental properties, you can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Let me know that you're a podcast listener, and I'll give you a discount on your processing fee. And now, on to the show. All right, Shiv, thank you so much for being on the show again. For those of our listeners who don't know who you are, can you go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know who you are and tell us what you do? Yes. Well, good to meet you again, Sean. My name is Shiv. I got into real estate 2018, right after graduating college, was just trying to explore different avenues and side hustles and realized that real estate was kind of the best way to build a passive income stream. So anyway, found my way into Airbnb, started building an Airbnb business, grew that to about $2 million in revenue in about a year and a half, and then got intercepted by COVID and had to uh, kind of pivot. And now I'm working on a real estate technology company that is kind of revolutionizing the real estate multifamily residential leasing space. Yeah, that's awesome. And I remember last time you were on the show, you were talking about how to do the Airbnb, like corporate rentals here in the Bay Area. And it's great to see that you're able to transition even during this pandemic. So why don't you give our listeners a quick summary of your new company and what you guys provide? Yeah, totally. So, you know, we right now we're building AI property managers that help residential property management companies streamline their leasing process, right? So our AI property managers can do anything from engaging with your leads 24-7 and immediately scheduling and rescheduling tours 
answering questions and following up multiple times all through text. So we, you know, coming from the short-term rental space, we were kind of surprised to see that it was a lot easier to deal with leasing in short-term rentals versus long-term rentals, right? So our goal here was to figure out how to make it very easy for property management companies to get more tours scheduled. So this is a tool for property managers, not necessarily for the individual investor. Yeah, this is a tool for property managers. I mean, ultimately, if your property management company is stronger, it helps the individual investor. But yeah, it's a tool for property management companies internally. One of the biggest problems we see in the industry is there are often too many leads coming in at all times for the property management companies to handle, right? If you think about you know, when people are typically available, they're typically free only in the evenings and weekends after they're finishing work. And that's when they're looking for a new apartment or a home. And a lot of leads come in at that time. But when property management companies wait till the next day or even the following day, the quality of the lead drastically drops. So our goal here is to figure out how to make sure that property management companies can tackle leads when they're hot and make sure that they feel like they're being personally engaged with and communicated with. So can you kind of give us a rundown on how that actually works? Yes, I give you an example. So let's say John Doe is, you know, looking to move to San Francisco and he's exploring 20 different apartment complexes, right? So let's say Monday at 7 p.m., John Doe logs into his computer, goes on apartments.com and finds, you know, 10 or 15 apartment complexes that he's interested in, right? Let's say he happens to find one of the apartment complexes that we work with. So when John Doe submits an inquiry with his name, phone number and email, what Resident Boost, which is the, our company name, what we'll do is we will automatically contact John saying, you know, hi, John, thanks for inquiring. Please let me know if we can answer any questions, right? That's just a trigger message. But what's really unique is we have conversational AI to be able to answer common questions that John may have, like parking, pet policy, you know, what is the move-in fee? So what John experiences is he's feeling like he's talking to a human because he's getting this personalized touch and we're able to engage your leads as soon as they inquire. And let's say, for example, Kelsey, which is our AI leasing agent, doesn't know how to respond to something. We've hybridized this with our human leasing team. So our human team will be brought in to the conversation, can answer the question and then nurture the lead through so nothing gets stuck. So what ends up happening for John is he's kind of experiencing a unified communication experience. A lot of the times we see, you know, when folks talk on chatbots or something, they're getting these kind of garbled responses on and they're left in the dust. So our whole goal here is to make sure that when a lead contacts at 7 p.m. on Monday night at Friday, 8 p.m., they're going to get engaged with personally, they're going to get their questions answered, and then they're going to get nudged over the course of a week or two weeks, five, six, seven times to try to come in to get a tour scheduled, right? And what ends up happening is if you can increase you know, by 20% on the top line, getting more tours scheduled, getting more in-person meetings, um, you're drastically improving the end result of the number of leases you sign. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So just to summarize, I'm going to assume it's kind of like those uh, more sophisticated version of like those Facebook chats where you go on someone's page and they say, hey, how, how can I help you? Right. And then like John in this case would say, hey, I'm looking for an apartment. This one right here seems interesting to me. And then Kelsey, the AI would kind of go through and answer any of the simple questions that this person might have, like, oh, what's the bedroom bathroom count? Oh, are pets allowed in this place? And then if there's a problem, quote unquote, Kelsey will say, oh, I don't know the answer. Let me bring in like someone else, Joshua, right? And then Josh is a real life person who can ask you those questions. 
Exactly. So Kelsey actually won't say um, when we bring someone in, what will happen is our agent will just be pinged and then they'll just pick up the conversation uh, where it left off through Kelsey. So it'll all be through one voice. And then that's just like, you know, simple question and answers, right? But where Kelsey goes even further is then she will attempt to schedule a tour with John depending on his availability and depending on the property manager's availability. So Kelsey has an API integration with the property manager's calendar to figure out when he or she is available and will schedule a tour according to their availability uh, with John. So John can say, you know, what is the pet policy? I have a dog. Kelsey could say, you know, we allow dogs up to 25 pounds. And then John says, great, like, I'd love to come in for a tour when works. And then Kelsey will say, you know, does Friday at 3.30 p.m. work? And if John says no, Kelsey will propose another time that works with the property manager according to their schedule. So if he confirms the tour, she will confirm with the property manager and with John, letting them both know that a tour is on. 24 hours before, she'll remind John that there's a tour. And three hours before, she'll remind him once again. And if she doesn't get any responses, she'll actually go ahead notify the property manager, letting them know that this is an at-risk tour, because we notice that a lot of people, you know, schedule tours, but don't end up showing up, right? So the end result is property management companies and leasing agents are not dealing with all the administrative work of getting a tour scheduled, right? Dealing with no-shows, dealing with follow-up calls, dealing with follow-up text messages. So the end product is they're just getting many more tours scheduled that are both qualified and good quality. Yeah, that makes sense. Does this have any integration with any of the other property management software solutions that PMs are using like Buildium or Outfolio or something like that? Yeah, exactly. So what we're doing right now is we're integrating with all the major property management software. So Yardi, RealPage, Knock, which is a CRM, and Trata. And the goal with that integration is that when a new guest card is created in any of those property management softwares, Kelsey will then contact them, communicate with them, follow up with them regularly. And once she gets a tour scheduled, she'll update that guest card with the most relevant information, right? So our goal here is to not teach you or your company a new software, but just give you the value. So it's kind of like a plugin. So the best way to think about it is Kelsey will be like an AI leasing agent working in your existing PMS. So she'll be setting up tours, talking to leads, communicating with them, answering questions, et cetera. And all of that will be completely integrated with your PMS. So you'll just have uh, more tours and more guest cards updated. That's so cool. I feel like this has multiple applications, right? Not just for property management solutions. You could potentially use this even for the real estate investor who wants to schedule an appointment with someone and right? Like, hey, I'm scheduling an appointment with you to go look at your house, make sure you show up or even like with for real estate agents, right? They're looking for buyers, buyers flake on them all the time. So this way you can at least have some consistency with your with your leads. Yeah, no, we're seeing a lot of folks interested in this application for self-storage, for retail, for office, because it's a common problem, right? Especially in residential real estate, we see that people often, the problem has shifted from a lead generation problem to now a lead processing problem. So in the early 2000s with the advent of Zillow, you know, Zemper, Apartments.com, what these sites enabled companies to do is to generate more leads, right? But now that we've kind of solved that problem, the new problem for a lot of property management companies is how do we effectively process all these leads that are coming in so we're maximizing the value on a lot of them? You know, I talked to maybe, you know, thousands of property management companies by now, and a lot of them say that they have so many leads that are coming in that they don't know what to do with them. So they just remove marketing channels, right? But the goal here is to make sure that you're able to actually 
look at all those leads, process them, and increase demand for your units so that you can increase prices, right? Not cut out the supply of leads. So that's what we're trying to do is making sure that whether you get 10 leads a day or a thousand leads a day, you're able to process them with the same level of efficiency that you were with your current team. Nice. What is the business model for this product? So the way we work right now is we charge per unit per month. So it's just regular subscription. So we do $2 per unit per month. And this includes the full AI functionality. So we go through an onboarding period with you where we collect information about your portfolio, your units, the building, so that Kelsey can get trained. And this also right now includes the human team. So our human team is there to support Kelsey for any hiccups, as well as do call follow-ups. So we do five call follow-ups per lead and about five to seven text follow-ups. Um, so you know we're actually a text-first platform. So we see about an, a 98% open rate with text messages versus a 20% open rate for emails, right? So it's much more effective to do text messages. So with all of that included, that we charge about $2 per unit per month right now. What is the motivation for a property manager to stay on it if they've leased out the property already? So the thing is, you know, a lot of the times with big portfolios, when you're looking at portfolios of 10,000, right now our average client size that we're going for is about we go anywhere as low as a thousand units to all the way up to 30,000 units, right? So we have clients that are at about a thousand units. We have other clients that are 20,000 units. And for the larger scale clients, you know, with 20,000 units, you're constantly having vacancies, right? Because it's such a large scale portfolio. There's so much communication that they typically see that there's always a need for filling units and filling communication. Um, the biggest thing is it just saves a lot of your leasing agent's time. I mean, if you think about the leasing process, um, in the beginning, when a lead first comes in, they're spending time first contacting the lead, you know, figuring out whether they're a qualified lead or not. So the way Kelsey qualifies the lead is based on two things, income and credit score. So we determine whether your income and credit score prior to scheduling a tour. And then there's all the follow-up. So if you know, right now we're seeing about five to seven follow-ups is the magic number per lead. If you're following up five or seven times per lead and you're getting 100 lead, new leads a day, that's 500 to 700 additional follow-ups that your team has to do per day, right? And our goal here is to save you all that time. And for large-scale property management companies, we see that there's constantly turns, there's constantly vacancies, and this just saves them tons of time and allows their leasing agents to focus on building the physical relationship with the prospect and trying to close them when they need them. That's crazy to even fathom 20,000 properties, 20,000 units under management. Like, like my dad runs a small property management company. It's like 40 units, you know? Yeah. 20,000 is a lot. What kind of companies have 20,000 units under the belt? There's tons of companies, you know, Graystar has like a hundred something thousand, but we're working with a company called Adara. They have about 30,000 units. There's NALS, uh, which has 15,000. There's, I just spoke to a company in Canada that had another 16,000 units. So these are large scale, you know, NMHC top 50 management companies in the country. So if you think about that size, there's like hundreds of buildings, right? So for them to have a product like this, they're saving probably thousands of hours a month, right? On their leasing agent's time. And they're able to just focus on closing the leads. So we're, we're exactly, so we're kind of more focused around the larger scale management companies, the lower bound being around a thousand units. And then, yeah, there are companies that we're talking to that have 30,000 units. So yeah, it's a lot. I mean, that's really cool. I like, again, I didn't even know there were companies that did, honestly, I didn't even know there were companies that did more than 5,000 units, right? So did you even know that there are some big sharks out there who have like 15 to 30, that's 
pretty great. How did you guys even come up with this concept? Like why this product of all the things you could have been doing? So that's a great question. So, you know, I mentioned in the show in the beginning, we started off doing Airbnb property management. So in 2018, you know, I was trying to figure out how to build passive income, stumbled upon an article by a very dear friend of mine now, Paul Moore, who talked about how, you know, another friend of mine, Jay, built this like passive stream of income doing Airbnb arbitrage, right? So we started exploring that, found it pretty interesting and thought it was a pretty good business model and was working full-time at the time and decided to just, you know, get a couple properties, scale it out. And, you know, we ended up with about like 30 properties in the first eight months and then just kept scaling, scaling and growing and got to about 2 million in revenue. And, you know, obviously last year in 2020, COVID hit. And when COVID hit, we, of course, really got hit as well because the business model was we would sign master leases with owners of apartments and homes, you know, let them know and disclose that we're doing short-term rentals and corporate housing. In return, we would sublet the property and hope to make a premium, right? So if you look at the business model, you may rent a place for 4,000 bucks and you may get 6,000 bucks and you pocket the $2,000, you know, assuming there's no other costs, right? But the flaw of the business model is you're inheriting a lot of inventory risk. So when COVID hit, I think we had like 70 or $100,000 a month of lease payments that we had to pay regardless of, of whether we were renting it or not. So, you know, in March of 2020, we basically had no demand for travel. There's no one traveling. And we had to figure out how to keep these properties occupied, right? And, you know, I was very bearish at the time of COVID. I had anticipated a very long and slow recovery. Um, and I really felt that it was truly damaging. So my goal was to figure out how to just secure and protect our downside. So in order to do that, we were saying, okay, we have these, you know, we have dozens of these properties all over the, in like 13 cities. The best way to protect our downside and hit pause is to get long-term leases, right? So overnight, we basically became a short-term rental company and we became a long-term rental company, right? So in that process of trying to get all these places leased long-term, we found it very difficult, actually, surprisingly. We we're like coming from the short-term rental world where we built all these processes and it was very simple. And we we're trying to get these places leased long-term. We found there were so many leads, there were so many messages. There was a lot of manual work that we were doing that just didn't make sense. Uh, we really believed that we could streamline it. So we we're like, anyway, this business is definitely pause for the next couple of years, there may be a real opportunity here. So that's when we kind of started building out the business model, you know, our investors and, you know, my business partner, Kendrick has been in uh, property management. They've been about cumulatively about three decades of property management experience. So we really zoomed in on the problem and said, Hey, listen, like if we were building a product for us, what would we want? And we just started going from there, figuring out what features we wanted, looking at the process of leasing an apartment and focusing on what took a lot of time and then building the product vision like that. That's awesome. How do you go about creating an artificial intelligence company? Do you guys have a background in AI and CS? It's a great question. So, you know, we're both engineers. We don't have a strong background in AI. So our investor is invested in a couple other companies. And one of the things we did when we were building this company is we had to figure that part out, right? Like we understood the business problem very well, but we didn't quite have the technical talent in our team. So, you know, we started exploring to see if we can bring on someone else as a third founder. And one of our investors uh, made an intro to us to someone who had built 
AI custom solutions for Microsoft, KPMG, Accenture, some of these these large-scale enterprise companies. And we really hit it off. He really saw the business need for something like this and agreed to come on as our CTO. So he had tons of experience building all these custom solutions. So when we brought him on as a CTO, they had already built a lot of AI custom solutions for these companies. So it really helped us uh, kind of hit the ground running build out our engineering team and just start building out the product to find product market fit. Yeah. And how did you even get like a list of investors before even having the product out and ready? So we were lucky in that sense that, you know, we had already taken investment for our previous company and that's how we were growing the Airbnb company. And we were lucky enough that our investor kind of saw the business need for this. So what we did was we just used the money that we had raised for the previous company you know, thankfully, we were able to get a lot of the places leased. We didn't lose that much money during that period. So what we did was we just took the money that we had raised for the previous business and used it for our next business. Okay, that makes sense. We didn't re-raise more money. We had just used the money that we had. And our investor was okay with uh, this new idea. He really saw promise. And, you know, obviously, there's more upside in tech companies. So he was kind of excited for it. Although we are looking to raise, we have raised a little bit more money this year and are looking to raise a Series A this summer. What do you think has been the greatest challenge so far of starting this new venture? I think the biggest challenge is basically starting from scratch. I think whenever you start from scratch, I think the biggest thing with this company is when we're building out the short-term rental property management company, it was less stressful in the sense that we were making revenue from day one, right? We were generating revenue and very quickly we became profitable and it was a very strong business model. But when you're building a technology company, you often find that the real value is at the tail end of your build, right? Once you get thousands of customers. And in the beginning, you're kind of against the clock. So you have a ticking time bomb of quantifying, you know, six months of runway or 12 months of runway. And you don't really have a strong opportunity to make money in those early days. So I think the pressure helps you build better and think more creatively. But the most challenging thing is just going through the psychological impact of knowing that there's a ticking time bomb and you have to get somewhere in order to raise more money and extend your life. I think another thing that helped you out a lot with that first business is that it was kind of like a proven business model. Exactly. Like you've seen other people who have done well, right? Like Jay Martin, you saw his article, you met him in person, you know that it works. But something like this, where you're kind of starting from scratch, like you mentioned, it's like, ooh, I don't know. Like, will it take off? Will people actually buy it? So glad to hear that you have some customers right now who are those big portfolio managers. Yeah, yeah. No, it's had a really, really strong start. I mean, we started doing sales. So just give you a little bit of perspective. We started exploring this product idea in July or August of 2020, we took all the startup philosophy and just focused on building an MVP that we can get out and start showing in front of customers. So we started our sales process around November, December. And I was pleasantly surprised to see that if I could get on the phone with someone and explain what we do, about 80% of the time I could schedule a demo, right? Which was a very good fly sign for me because I had not done many cold calls. So I you know, got a list of thousands of property management companies, went down the list, and most of the time you don't get answers. But when you do get an answer and I explain what we do, people were very interested, right? And I think that was a huge, a huge sign. So right now we've got off to a really good start. We have a lot of these companies that are very interested. We've signed contracts and are looking to onboard a lot more companies this quarter. So yeah, it's definitely stressful, but I think there's a real problem here 
not only from our experience, but it seems like from dozens of some of the largest property management companies experience as well. Yeah, I guess from like talking to all these different people. Yeah, I mean, so I know from my own experience, right? I've cold called people before, like I've cold called real estate agents asking for like, hey, give me a deal, give me a deal. And that experience never really went really well. Now it's different, right? Because I now have a product that people really like. So when I'm on a phone with them, people really enjoy our conversation together. And like, like you mentioned, because you're solving a real problem for them, they're more likely to convert. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's totally true. And it's funny you bring up cold calls. I had never done any cold calls in my life. So I was actually with a friend and she has her own startup and she was leading sales for them. And uh, I was like, oh shit, like, I don't know how to, you know, cold call. What, what am I supposed to say? Like, what if they say no? And she's like, just give me the phone. And she started calling the companies, not knowing anything about my company and just kind of like BSing her way into a conversation. And then at that point, I was like, if she like doesn't really know anything about my company is able to like get somewhere with them. I told her like what we did in like 30 seconds. It can't be that hard, right? So I feel like the cool thing about cold calling is it's like once you get in the zone, it's very easy, but it's just the starting trouble that makes it really hard. You just have to like get into that zone and then have that momentum. Especially when your like script isn't super refined. So you're like stumbling on your words here and there. But then after you say it like five or 10 times, you're like, okay, I know how to go through this. It's the same process here and there. Exactly. They all have the same objections. How do you get around that? Yeah. So is the product now still in like an MVP phase or is it now more of a mature form? It's more mature right now. So we have um, some customers using it and we have our team in place. But, you know, with any tech product, you're always doing feature releases and adding new things to the roadmap. But it is usable and we do have customers. And some of the things we're exploring for future, which we've heard feedback on, is seeing if we can incorporate this for maintenance and maintenance-related processes. So a lot of tenants have problems with things and it's very hard to reach the property manager. So a lot of feedback that we've been getting is, what if you incorporated Kelsey to enable tenants to be able to just text Kelsey so they can have work orders created and have the maintenance side of things streamlined. So that's something that we may be working on in Q3 or Q4 based on a lot of the feedback we've gotten. Okay, that sounds great. Yeah. And I guess going back to the Airbnb side of things. So I know you mentioned that most of them are now on the long-term lease side. Did you kind of put them all on the one-year lease or is it other month to month? So a lot of them are month to month. What we ended up doing was closing down a lot of the leases. So thankfully, we had built pretty good relationships with our landlords. And a lot of them let us get out of the lease early. Some we put on month to month. We kept the, the high-powered profitable units. And we have a ton of furniture for anybody listening. If you guys want to buy furniture, message me. We have tons of furniture in stores. We're still trying to figure out like, are we going to start this business again? And I don't think so. We've just found a lot of success. And the only way to do things well is to be really focused and honed in. So I think we're really taking this business on forward. But yeah, we have a couple of units left that we're just using to feed into the revenue for our business. Yeah, I know when I sold my Airbnb, I had the same problem as you, right? Like I had a flip, didn't go well. I plan to hold on to this property because I believed so much in this opportunity, right? I said, look, the market will recover in two or three years. In the meantime, you know, Airbnb is like the thing to do nowadays, right? Especially in the Santa Clara area. Lo and behold, COVID hits, boom, your profits for like the summer and springtime are all gone. No interns come in, no business people coming through. So now you're stuck with a property. So I sold my property and I had a bunch of furniture to get rid of. So I was selling these beds that I bought just a few months ago for like maybe $700, right? For the bed, the frame, all that stuff for just like 200 bucks. You know, like you take a huge haircut because you just need to let it go, you know? 
Exactly. Where did you end up selling it? Just curious to friends and people who are doing Airbnb. You mean the furniture? Yeah, the furniture. Mm -hmm. I ended up selling the furniture on Craigslist. Oh, on just on Craigslist. Yeah. Actually, Facebook Marketplace. Okay. That was better than Craigslist, but it was annoying, right? Like, first of all, like you're not making money, then you're selling your furniture at a huge discount and it just doesn't feel good. So. Exactly. I mean, we have like, I think 30, 40, 50 beds. So to do all that on Craigslist just sounds exhausting. So I don't know if there are companies out there, if anyone has any ideas, I'd love to to hear what to do. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I mean, there were a lot of people who were doing the same business model as you were. I don't know if they're still in business either, right? Because this has hit everyone in this industry. So it's definitely a challenge. Yeah. And plus they have to like get their own trucks and stuff to like bring it over. And yeah, I know it's a challenge. That's cool. Glad to hear that at least you guys are able to pivot. I know that during these times, some people have just like gone under and then haven't been able to recover. I know personally, it took me a couple of months just to like feel bad and then feel good about myself again before I'm able to like create some more traction. Yeah, totally. Yeah. All right. Shiv, you also mentioned that a couple of months ago, your parents actually sold their house in the South Bay and they actually did something called DST. Do you want to explain what that is and how the whole process works? Totally. So to my knowledge, what a DST is, there's actually two DSTs. There's something called Delaware Statutory Trust, and there's a Deferred Sales Trust. So what my parents did is they did a Deferred Sales Trust. And a Deferred Sales Trust is another alternative to doing a 1031 exchange. So one of the biggest advantages for a Deferred Sales Trust is if you don't want to buy something immediately but you want to invest in real estate, maybe when there's a downturn, a deferred sales trust allows you to do that. With the 1031 exchange, you have the 180 day requirement to close or identify a property. So yeah, my parents, you know, they had owned the home for about 20, 25 years. You know, the market has just been booming in 2020 post COVID. I think people just saw too much stock money and starting to get nervous and wanted to liquidate it, put in real estate. So we saw a huge uptick in the market. And, you know, they've been moved to India. We had been renting the house. It's not not the best place to do rentals in the Bay Area, as everyone knows. So we had enough appreciation where they decided to sell it, but they didn't want to jump into buying a new place immediately. They hadn't had the experience of doing big real estate projects. You know, Bay Area property is expensive, so they would have had to buy maybe an apartment complex in Reno or somewhere nearby, and they weren't really comfortable doing that. They're also looking to have it as more of a passive stream of income. So a deferred sales trust, what it allows you to do is you can sell your property in the Bay Area, put it into a trust, and what happens is that trust will then pay you a percentage of interest. So I think right now the agreement is like 7% interest. And if they want to invest in real estate down the line, they can always invest through the trust and buy real estate, but they don't have any time limit or they don't have to buy things immediately. Mm -hmm. So just to clarify, when you are selling your property, instead of paying these like crazy capital gains taxes and just getting all the money from day one, instead of that, you sell the property and then those funds goes into a trust. So capital gains is, I guess, not taken. What was that whole part about you getting 7% every single year on that money? That sounds like a lot of money. So what they do is you put it into this trust. So you don't pay capital gains. So what you're doing is you're deferring the capital gains. So you put it into this trust. And then what the trust does is they invest the money for you in different schemes, depending on your risk profile. And you set kind of a promissory note of the amount um, that you want to take, right? So they pretty much, nothing is guaranteed, but they promise you, 7% a year on that money. 
And now what this has allowed you to do is you're deferring your trust that you get into, in our case, we got into a 10-year agreement. So after the 10 years, once we pull the money out of the trust, we'll pay the initial capital gains that we had when we sold the house. But during the lifetime of that 10 years, you're basically getting like mail check money. So they're paying you, you know, 7% interest on the money you have. So it's a passive way to defer your capital gains versus if you're looking at a 1031 exchange, unless you're investing in a syndication, which is very hard, very few syndications take 1031 money or capital gains money. It's another way for you to kind of defer your capital gains and have a more passive way to get interest on that money. So do you know if it's only for those 10 years or like if you were to take that money and then buy real estate, do you not have to pay those capital gains until you sell it again? If you take the money in the 10 years and buy real estate. Sorry, I'll repeat the question. So yeah, like you mentioned, like if you put the money in this trust, 10 years later, you take it out. That's when you have to pay the capital gains tax on that money, right? Yes. But if you were to take that money and then buy real estate instead, are you still liable for those capital gains at year 10? On the new property you buy, the capital gains on the new property you're talking about. Well, so for example, let's imagine that you had a million dollars in profit. So normally you'd spend like 400K in taxes after all said and done. Instead, we go through a DST and then you park your million dollars for let's say seven years, right? And then every year for those seven years, you're getting that 7% mailbox money. But then on year seven, you identify a property, say, hey, I want to buy this one. Can you take that million dollars from that trust and then buy the property? Or are you still liable for that 400,000 gains at year 10, even though you've already spent that money buying a new property? You can extend the DST. I'm not sure if I know the answer. You can extend the DST, but you can go ahead and buy another property, but I think you're still liable. Once you're out of the DST, you have to pay the taxes ultimately. Okay, got it. So you're still liable for the taxes after you exit the DST, after year 10. I guess the big thing is that the DST isn't like the 1031 exchange where you can like buy 1031 exchange and then keep going forever and then you die and then ultimately never have to pay taxes. With the DST, you have a 10 year time limit. You could potentially extend it, but basically 10 years is where it's at, where you're deferring for. Exactly. Yeah. You can extend, you can keep extending it. Uh, one of the things they do, so they take, I think like a 1% fee or so every year. I'm not exactly sure, but yeah, you can keep extending it as long as you want, but ultimately it's not like if you die, you know, the people that inherit it don't pay taxes. So I think they still pay taxes once it's pulled out of the trust. I see. So I guess the purpose for doing this with your parents is that they just don't want to pay taxes today and they don't mind paying the taxes 10 years from now. And in the meantime, they're making 7% on the entire amount versus just on like the 60% that they get back after taxes are taken away. Yeah, exactly. Because they're using the full money to grow in the next you know, 10 years. And then the other upside is that if the market collapses, let's say in two years, they could buy something then and then take their appreciation of that versus with the 1031 exchange, you only have 180 days to identify and purchase properties. Okay. I can understand you now. So it's kind of more like keeping your dry powder. So instead of like, selling now, paying taxes now, you're kind of parking your money, making money while it's there. And then when you find a good opportunity, take the money out, pay taxes, and then buy a new property. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm. Mm -hmm. Okay, very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Shiv, thank you so much for all this information. You know, I'm super excited to hear stories like yours where you are starting something fresh. You know, you're starting this artificial intelligence company. I'm sure it's going to do very, very, very well. You know, you guys are going to be the next LoopNet. You guys are going to be the next like Buildium. Don't forget us you know, when you're out there. But yeah, honestly, I've always personally had aspirations to do something similar, right? Like the reason why I personally got into real estate was because I didn't want to eat ramen 
and rice every single day while creating my quote unquote startup company. Right. Yeah. So it's really cool to see stories like yours where you guys did it. You know, you were doing well with Airbnb. You know, unfortunately, COVID happened and that made you guys shift. But because of that shift, now you've found a new opportunity and you took that advantage to then figure out how to make it work. You know, none of you guys had experience in artificial intelligence, but by networking, finding good connections, you guys create a product and now you guys have customers. How exciting is that? Yeah, no, it's really exciting. And, you know, I give a lot of credit to my business partner, Kendrick. I think, you know, when we're going through, you know, we're almost on a high, right? With the Airbnb management company, things are going really well. We were growing very fast. We were in 13 cities and our revenue numbers were going up and up and up. And when COVID hit, it was like the worst thing that could happen, right? And when you're kind of in that mode of building a company, seeing a lot of traction, seeing a lot of positive growth and things collapse, you almost like your whole outlook on growth and success kind of just shatters, right? And you don't know what the next step is. For the longest time, we didn't know what we were going to do next. We didn't know how long COVID was going to last. And, you know, I think one of the biggest things when you're building a business um, that's very important is having people around you that are positive. And I think Kendrick was, my business partner was that, you know, while I was kind of doubting and not sure what the next step is, he kept kind of the positivity going and the positive outlook on the next step and saw a lot of opportunity here. Because who knows if we decided to just call it quit after we lost that business, we wouldn't be here today. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, you probably would have gone back to a full-time job and then every day at the office, you'd be thinking like, what could have been? You might even see some of your other friends who are no smarter or better than you succeeding on Instagram and Facebook and just being like, God, yeah, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I mean, yeah, exactly. Hang out with positive people, keep a good outlook, and always you know, think about how to pivot if you're in a bad situation. Exactly. Awesome. Well, Shiv, thank you again so much for coming on the show again today. It's a pleasure having you, and best of luck with you and your business. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Sean, for having me. Take care. Yeah, and for anyone that wants to reach out to you, if they want to learn more about your new platform, how can they get in contact with you? So um, my email is shiv at residentboost.com. So that's resident, R-E-S-I-D-E-N-T. And then boost.com, B-O-O-S-T. I've been on a few podcasts and have had a lot of tremendous relationships that was synergistic. So if you have any ideas, just feel free to reach out and I'm sure I can help you in some way and we can build a synergistic relationship. Awesome. Well, Shiv, thanks again. Awesome. Thanks, Sean. Take care. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the show notes and other episodes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. If you live in the Bay Area, Join our meetup group, where we meet up twice a month in San Jose at meetup.com slash everythingrei. And if you thought this was a great episode, let me know what your key takeaway was and share it with a friend who's interested in real estate investing. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It will only take a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Thanks and have a great day.